Hi, this is Sophie, Simon and Ben from That Final Scene. Yeah, we just want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Amazon Music where you can find this very podcast. So, let's dive in, shall we? I said it before and I'll say it again. That scene, that last scene. What does it mean? I'm the dude, you know? Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. That Final Scene starts now. Well, hi, you're listening to the That Final Scene podcast. Allegedly, the number one podcast and movie endings and spoilers. I mean, I don't know if that's oh, true. Oh, okay, I'm just in, yeah. I'm Eritrea. <laughs> in Algeria. Yeah, I was going to say, in what random country is that? In, we're the number one podcast in Bhutan. We did have some interesting rankings recently, but they always seem to change. When depending you say interesting, on, is this going to be using interesting in a really broad it, sense? No, no, it's like number three in Italy two weeks ago. What about Ireland a few weeks ago? Oh, we yeah, were well, like, my mate Dara always listens. And if Dara, hi, Dara, you're probably the reason we're, uh, we're not number one in Ireland. Hey. Well, not number one, but high up there. Our number one listening bot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I also use the word interesting because we did rank fairly high on Russia recently, which is interesting. <laughs> oh, I don't know word. how I feel about that. So, Putin's feel love like... Donnie Darko. Oh, Christ. <laughs> he locked in. That Halloween episode got to him. He falls asleep <laughs> listening to the Sweeney Todd soundtrack. <laughs> For some reason, I can see. The throat slitting montage in Sweeney Todd, <laughs> which I watched the other day and I was shook by the violence. Oh, really? Okay. Give us, give us yeah. your reaction. Well, I thought Sasha Baron Cohen was ridiculously good. Yep. And there wasn't enough of him in the film. I'd love it yeah. if, he could, he if his part, part could have been extended a bit more into the film. Sa- Sasha Baron Cohen is king of those kind of cameos because oh. he cameos in the Les Mis movie as well as like the master of the house. He's in like one scene and he's, Brilliant as well. He's brilliant as well. Like he's very good at just like popping in and out of movies. Mm. He's just so disgustingly talented. Like he can just pop into a film like Sweeney Todd and just sing majestically. Do you see what I mean now about funny. why like why they probably had him queued up for Freddie Mercury, especially off the back of that? Not that Rami Malek didn't do a great job, but yeah. you know. Yeah, so I enjoyed it, but some of the songs just I found a bit too long and just the Violence of the throat slitting and and that bit when the bodies keep falling down the meat tunnel. Oh yes, down that yeah. I find that more uncomfortable to watch the bits when they're falling down and hitting the yeah. ground than the actual throat slitting. I find that just like the idea like falling from a height like that. I think it would have landed better if the actual actors were proper singers or they had like some sort yeah. of singing background because none of them did like. I think it was the very first time Johnny Depp sang on, you know, quote-unquote big screen. Carter isn't really a singer herself. I mean, she did okay. Everybody in it, apart from maybe Sasha Baron Cohen and maybe Jamie Campbell Bowers, he seems to have quite a good voice. I think they admit that they're not going to be the strongest singers in the world and so are trying to, like, sing in the character. And that makes it, especially, especially Hannah Monon Carter and Johnny Depp. And then, obviously... <laughs> Timothy Spall and Alan Rickman, <laughs> who, yeah. listen, I miss know, Timothy Spall. They can best. make no mistake. He's, he's still alive, isn't he? Yeah, Timothy Spall. Oh, Alan, Alan Rickman. It made me want to go ago. back and watch a video's own pet. Watching <laughs> you, do you know what that is, Sophie? No. It's Have like, you not heard of a video's own pet? Oh, what a theme tune. It's probably what, from the late 70s, early 80s? So we yeah. play it? Reminds me of my mum and dad because they're from Newcastle up north, which is like a, a city in the north of England for any American listeners. Yeah, for any of those people else. from those interesting <laughs> countries that we don't know. We have plenty of, yeah, people from, you know, not here, so. And oh, yeah, I guess I'm a Geordie by yeah. extension. And um, the least Geordie sounding It's about Geordie. a group of guys who are construction workers. And it's just about their lives. And they, they, they go to Germany and they go to yeah. Spain. Because I didn't realise it was a thing, apparently, in like the 70s and 80s, a load of construction workers went to work yes. in Germany because there was work there. 
And so, yeah, it's just a bit of punch. It's a bit of punch. Yeah, a bunch of Geordie blokes. On a building site. They all, they all live together in a dormitory. There's Jimmy Nail, Timothy Spall's yeah. there. And all these actors did it with no training. And that was their training. Mm. And Timothy Spall, you it's can one see of Timothy Spall's first. I think it's his first yeah. gig, I think. And you can see there's a sort of seed of what he's going to become. But he, they're all just amateurs, that really. But it's, it's like watching a school play. Oh, I love him. Have you watched, have you watched anything else other than Sweeney Todd? Oh, so my mind's literally gone blank. That's okay. If you've oh. watched The Prestige again, so it's fine, you can say it. <laughs> it's okay if you admit, it, admit yeah. that. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe when like, we get to the feel-good movie section, maybe that's mine. This is Doubtfire. Nuns on the Run. Wait, you mentioned Nuns on the Run. We've got to mention Robbie Coltrane. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, that was so yeah, sad. Because, yeah. like, he's one of my heroes. Yeah. And I know some people know him from the Harry Potter films, mm-hmm. but I know him from... The first well, thing, actually, Cracker, I'd say, is the thing that I know him from. The first thing I know him from, and to go back to my thing that I always go back to, is I know him from James Bond. He's in, yeah. he's in two of the Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. He's in Goldeneye and The World's Not Enough. Huh. As so, Valentin Zakowski. R.I.P. Yeah. Robbie Coltrane. There's that, there was that lovely quote that was going around from the Harry Potter documentary from last year where he said, you know, uh, something like along the lines of like I won't be around but these films will be you know and he, about people Aww. kind of getting joy from the movies and stuff he's like you know they'll outlast me and all that I was, he seems like such a nice man that's yeah. me he's a real deal but you weren't watching a Robbie Coltrane film then while you're thinking about it I'm gonna go back to Sasha for a second okay. because okay. I have been watching well I started watching The Spy on Netflix I had no What's like that? a really good friend of mine recommended that so it's a it's a um, limited series I think it's uh, six, uh, I'm not sure how many episodes but, uh, six episodes um, and it's it's the story of the one of the most prominent spies in Israel taking back okay. 1960s and it's Sasha playing that person Eli Eli Ellie Cohen, I don't know, I'm not sure how to pronounce that right. Cool. Um, who infiltrated the Syrian government in the 1960s, and that's you know, yeah, him playing a super serious mm. role. And it goes back to what you said, like he's just he, he's a like a beast. Like you, you yeah. can't like. I think the moment you see him on the screen, you're like, ha ha, Bora. <laughs> and yeah. then ten, and then ten minutes later, like you forgot, like. <clears throat> It's him on the on the screen. He's just incredible. To be and honest, it, I was I was going to suggest if we, uh, with all the political turmoil here in the UK, we should definitely do Ali G in the house as an episode. But just because I have it on my notes, um, I think you've mentioned that you finished Homeland recently, right? No, uh, no I watched it years ago. Oh, years ago. So it's from the same creator, uh, the spy Gideon Raff. So Gideon yeah, Raff. yeah, it's very what a fantastic yeah, name. Yeah, for those of you out it's there who uh, love Rafe, a good, actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> A good spy, you know, show. Like, it's really, really, really good. What about you, Ben? What have I been watching? Obviously watched Little Miss Sunshine for hey. uh, the episode this week, which is good. And my girlfriend hadn't seen it before, so it was her first time seeing it, which is always mm-hmm. nice. Uh, and what else have I watched? I fin- finally finished Lord of the Rings and House of the Dragon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't really matter, does it? Who cares? I mean, Every we, time we make Ben talk about it, he's just giving up defending it. Do you know what, Simon? Because do you know what? I, I, I was, I was, Look, he's got his hands on his face. Do you know what? Yeah, that would yeah, be a video. The thing he's that, in. The thing, because I was thinking back to something that you said about me, Simon, a couple of episodes back, is that I very much enjoy anything elven. Yes. Which is so true. Mm. 
and Rings of Power is, I just really haven't enjoyed it. So I've, I'm like really struggling with that. Do you think internally. you've moved on? <laughs> I don't know if I have. Maybe I have. I mean, I've it's moved It's an identity on. issue. You're having an identity <clears throat> crisis. Do I really like Elvin? I mean, who, I, I who am I? I don't who like Elvin stuff anymore. I definitely don't like the Marvel movies anymore. What the fuck is happening to me? What? I turned, yeah. I turned, I turned 28 and I'm a completely different person. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I thought it was going to be no different, but you turned 28 where it happens. Imagine you're like Avatar 2 now. Like... If I, do you know what? If it turns out if we rewatch Avatar now for an episode before Avatar two and I like that film, oh, I'm probably right. going to have to That's just. I'm, I'm going to do happen. what you did and just cancel all of my yeah, subscriptions yeah. because oh. I'm not watching movies anymore. <laughs> Fuck that, I'm done. But yeah, I just it was oh god, it was just so so long and drawn out, and then nothing really happens. Yeah. Six and a half hours later. And there's not necessarily any like conflict that's going to like lead it into a very enjoyable enjoyable story. six months later no it all just kind of feels like one really long setup to okay don't work okay. one pair of pants later two years time when the next season comes out three thousand years later <laughs> so I mean you might not care about this but should we talk a little bit about Black Adam even though we haven't seen it just the kind of reaction because we I feel like yes. we've spoken about it before we, we and can, the build we up we can give our non-review review or like our non-review review because yeah. I'm sorry if you're planning on seeing it, but I'm not. One hundred percent, go it. for it. Like drag that. Film. I just think I just it it goes back to what I ju- literally what I just said about like fatigue with like Marvel movies. I just I'm just starting to not care anymore. I just I hate, sad, I, hate I hate that I'm that person. I just yeah. have no interest. Now we did say before the recording, and this would be the one reason to see it is Pierce Brosnan looks great. He looks I mean, so the good. man. Rocks the, the silver beard. hair and the beard. Oh my God. Christ Almighty! And a fan. Like, he is, he is a, what I'd call a dreamboat. He is a dreamboat. He's, <laughs> do you know what he is? Do you know what he is? He's hunky. He's a hunk. And he's like, he's in his what, like sixties or seventies? Oh yeah. His Insta- you follow him on Instagram; he, it's fantastic. It's all just selfies. Stu and then and Mrs. Doubtfire. That's his ultimate character, I think. Well, no, James Bond is his ultimate character. So he's one on. of my favorite Bonds. I think uh, he's one of the best Bonds. I've heard interviews oh, that yeah. people say that he's. If you look at like the. Before Bond went all dark and gritty. Yeah, well, if you look at, like, kind of uh, Bond in the books and stuff, apparently, no, I don't. I haven't really read many of the books because you start reading them and they're horrifically out of touch. <laughs> but Brosnan is supposedly quite close to how, like, Ian Fleming would have portrayed portrayed Bond more so. I think he's great. And I think he's, it's just a shame that he only got, what was he, at three? No. Yeah, three. No, four. Sorry, he got four. And only one of them's good. <laughs> Which one? Goldeneye. Goldeneye is really good. Goldeneye is great. I mean, but then you have Tomorrow Never Dies, which is all about the news. And then The World Is Not Enough, which is this kind of awful like play on how the world is turning to oil. And then Dino of the Day is just, I have a weird soft spot for Dino of the Day. And please, if you're listening to this and you enjoy Dino of the Day or have a soft spot for it, please <laughs> let me know. Because I, I just, even though it's terrible and probably the worst Bond theme ever, it's Madonna and it's, Absolutely horrendous. Maybe we could play it. It's that, but it's really bad. And the whole film is just like there's a lot of like crappy CGI and stuff in it. But yeah, I just have a we weird need sauce to have a it. thing. Maybe we can ask our listeners because we need to have a thing about like what's the best way to do like a James Bond episode because I yeah. have. No idea what you're talking about. Have you not? Have you, I, how many Bond films have you seen? I'm probably Daniel Craig once, and I don't know. Maybe a couple. No. What we should do is, if you're listening to this, yeah. of all every Bond for Sophie, pick one of their movies. Now George Lazenby, it's okay. easy because he only did one. But we give us pick one Sean Connery, which I mean I could probably do this for you. It's going to be the very it, first one. The first one is Doctor Now, but I would say watch Goldfinger. Don't watch Doctor. No, no, now. like the actor. Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, oh. Timothy Dalton. Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. So and whoever comes next. Ooh. Reggae Jean Page. Please. I think he'd be great. Wesley Snipes. 
Let's start a <laughs> let's start a campaign. Yeah, get reggae. Let's reggae start a wrong. campaign. <clears throat> let's pick the next bone. Let like let's get our yeah our listeners to vote. Okay, I'm, yeah. Okay, we have I'm to do it. But we have to do it. We bond need episode. to. Okay, let's campaign for that and um, be dressed up. Oh my god, I'd love to do it. Maybe that can be. A, oh my god, if we do a live a episode bond party. Oh yeah, we can do oh a bond party. God, that'd, that'd be great. Insane. As I said, I've got every single one on DVD. Oh, so. That's great. Yep. Um, it says about how much of a loser I am. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been watching, Sophie? Sorry, I feel like we've Simon. I guess okay, so the spy. So that's the, the spy. one big thing. And then the the one other film I'm going to uh, give a shout out to. Uh, one, I was it at LFF, London Film Festival. But two, I do think that it's quite relevant because of the I don't know circus that is our UK politics right now mm. it's called um triangle of sadness you might have heard of it. it it won the palm d'Or in the Cannes film festival it's from i want to get his name right ruben ostlund so he's the guy that did the square do you remember that film that came out a few years ago no so he's uh, he's very big on satire i think you would love like his direction uh, simon so the Square is all about how he takes on and gives like his own POV and perspective on the art world. And this one is very much about high fashion, advertisement, you know, like capitalism, that sort of thing. And I read this tweet from Jake Garrier, who's the head of distribution and PR at Curzon, uh, which is a perfect praise for the film. And he said, I don't like to make bold promises for a film, but it feels like a good week to be releasing a film where the super rich puke and shit their guts out and then slide around in the puke and shit. Britain is triangle of sadness right now. So I'm going to leave it at that. You have to watch this film. <laughs> like, it's, That's a really graphic analogy. It is a very, <laughs> it is an actual, like it's an actual scene in the film, but okay. Okay. without context, it's so well done. And I yeah. appreciate the analogy. I don't necessarily know if you sold the film to me though. <laughs> no, no, you like, it is about like taking the disgusting element of the super rates and see what okay. ha- yeah what happens to them when they are when they puke and shit in the floor. When you take away the, their quote unquote power, that is money. Um, I haven't watched anything. I mean, the only other thing which I kind of watched, but I kind of multitask at the same time was the Inside Man. Have you heard of the I've show? I've seen that. Have you actually the show? Okay. Oh, oh no, no, I've not no, seen that. No, that's not a Denzel Washington film. The oh. Denzel Washington Clive Owen film. Good movie, that one. It's a good film, mm. by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Sunday afternoon job. That is a Sunday afternoon I job. I do movie. tend yes. to confuse it with the Equalizer, but the Inside Man is with... In- Inside Man is Clive Owen Clive and Owen. his his team of bank robbers robbed this bank, or they, they locked themselves inside a bank with a lot of hostages, like and Denzel this- Washington's like the captain and the negotiator. Yeah, I feel aesthetically it looks very much like the Equalizer. It could be from the same DOP or... Maybe. Kind of vibe. Anyway, no, that's the show. So that's from Stephen Moffat. Oh, okay. And David Tennant... And Stanley Tucci, as I in I watched Tennant. it because I just love them both and they were really, really good. But oh my God, so many plot holes and like a nonsensical oh no. plot. Like just stupid writing and just like people doing things that don't really make any sense. So it's a BBC, I think. What's this? It's a movie. No. No, I liked it. No. Can I say something? No. I don't get it. What don't you get about it? Well, a few days ago, we asked you guys to tell us one film that you tend to go back to when you're not feeling 100%. And 
I've got to say, this was one of our most popular questions. So like so many responses. So if you're listening, do let us know if you want us to be asking like this kind of questions. And if you want us to talk about something more specific in the future around mental health, because yeah, there were many personal responses as well and people getting more vulnerable and opening up. So really appreciate you for that. We also know that like the Ben and Simon have uh, quite strong opinions for some of these. So, mm-hmm. so we go through some of these. Uh, I know go we have them it. in front of them. Yeah, I mean, the guy who said Quantum of Solace, you, you have my heart, is all I will say. <laughs> Thank um, you for picking a Bond film because I can just sit down and watch any Bond film on the weekend and it'll just automatically make me happy. Demetrius underscore is. Thank you for saying hey. Quantum of Solace. You also look like you have a very cute cat in your uh, picture. Sounds great. Well done. So, hello. But yeah. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Which yeah, I'm which surprised makes sense. at that. I get they're kind of your familiar go-to, you know, happy place. I get that, even yeah, though they're not. That is like, true. Yeah, so it's very like heavy nostalgia. And a name that Simon will appreciate, Samwise Gamgee, would make anyone feel happy. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I thought you'd like that name. <laughs> it's interesting because like, I get some films like Die Hard. Why you would pick that film? But at the same time, I'm seeing people choosing closer or in the mood for love mm. and I'm like these are difficult films yeah. to like, I can see how they can get to you when you're not feeling alright I don't know I was making a list of mine on the way here and I had to stop myself conflating like hangover films with feel good films when you're yeah. down because they are different and they I think even I, I think even saying you know films when you're not feeling great there, you, there's kind of two ways isn't there there's like there's a movie that like is feel good and make you feel happy and then there's movies that you're just like I really want a film that like I relate to because there was I think some people made comments about um, it, might, I think it might have been Interstellar and stuff like one of the, one of them and, 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 and really kind of connecting with the characters and that's true you know that's it's it's important to, re- to recognise that as well as that movies that you watch when you're not feeling great aren't necessarily it's not. You might actually not want to watch like a really fucking happy movie. You might want to be like, actually, I want to watch something that I want to really it. revel in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you do. You're right. I feel like the majority of people did pick quote unquote happy films, like Back to the Future. Seth was a very popular choice because I can, like it's a really feel good mm. like a film. Um, you know, like Sleepless in Seattle. So you like Man of Steel for whatever reason. The Prestige. Why would you? Why would you put yourself? Through, thank you to whoever said Prestige. Why would you put yourself through Man of Steel? It's interesting because I had this conversation with a friend the other day and they're the kind of person that will actually watch sad films when they're feeling sad. Mm, yeah. And it's, it's, well, it's a bit like breaking up with your boyfriend and going, activate breakup playlist. <laughs> yeah. Listening to, listening like, sad, to sad songs. songs. Yeah, like yeah. Heart, uh, heartbroken playlist. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not like that. I'm more like a fight kind of person. As in, I want the opposite of what I'm feeling in a way. Yeah. I want to mention yeah. the listener in Straygram because they've said about a boy. Which is one of my yes. favorites. Oh, yeah, that's on my that. list. Nice. Uh, it's, sound- got, it's got the soundtrack by Badly Drawn Boy. It's perfect. Yeah. It's oh, got God. Hugh Grant in his prime. And it's uh, got Tony Collette in it, who's going to be in our discussion yay. later on. And the guy from Skins, what's his name? Nicholas Holt. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Um, from that kind of, where I know someone said Love Actually as well, kind of from that. That makes sense. Ear ilk of films. Well, it's interesting because my girlfriend said Love Actually as well, and she was saying, you know, it is one of those just kind of feel good like happy Christmas films but actually <clears throat> when I think about Love Actually there's some really like 
upsetting scenes in Love Actually. Like Love Actually is a weird one that it kind of does both. There's like there's the, some of the really funny stuff in it. And then there's also like the Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson one where like he's having the affair and she figures it out. Like the scene where Emma Thompson just cries in the bedroom is like heartbreaking. And a lot of like Liam Neeson coming to terms with like his wife's death and stuff. I think that's the fa- common fabulous thing. Hair in that fa- that's true. Good wig work. Good, excellent wig work. Oh my God. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't even think it's a wig. That's what's the great thing about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the common thing with these films, as you were talking through these scenes, I, I was trying to understand like why would people go back to them is it is because this time around, because you probably watched that film a hundred million times, mm. you actually know what to expect. There's no peril. So th- there is no pain coming up. There is no sadness coming up because you've already experienced that pain of that scene. And it's almost like the safest thing for me right now is predictability in a way. And I know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Like I know when the character is going to cry. I think somebody mentioned one of the Mission Impossible films. And I think Mission Impossible is a great, uh, is a great one because mm, especially true. recently they are, very, they're very formulaic, but they're very enjoyable at the same time. Like they're not. Yeah. Priyank mentions Spider-Man and any Mission Impossible. Yeah. Exactly. And, the, uh, and the three yeah. Bourne films as well. They mentioned. Yeah, oh yeah. Cause you talked about the Bourne films. You mentioned Bourne Identity last week. I think so. Yeah. The one that I always go to is Run Fat Boy Run. That is hands down. Whenever I'm feeling shit, I go back to that because it has a brilliant soundtrack. Simon Pegg's in it. Uh, Dylan Moran's in it. Perfect. It's, it's Dylan Moran's character in that film is one of the funniest you'll ever see. Hank Azari is great in it. Thandie Newton's in it and she's brilliant. Ugh. Like the whole cast is fantastic. As you say, there's no peril because I know what's going to happen. He finishes the race. <laughs> brilliant. And he, you know, he, he gets his, kind of gets his ex, his wife and his son back. And it's just, yeah, it's just like, like heartwarming and funny and fun. And yes, I always go back to it. And, and also, and again, I think something with Little Miss Sunshine, as I said, the soundtrack in it's really good. Like, I really like the fact that I can sit down and then I can probably take some of those songs and then go out for a walk after I watch the movie and, like, listen to the soundtrack because it's a really, like, it's a, like, a great kind of, like, all those movies between, like, 2006 and 2000, maybe eight that had just had incredible, like, indie soundtracks like that and Little Miss Sunshine, Juno, all these, like, brilliant movies. Speaking of music, I mean, my my go-to favorites is like Austin's Eleven, one of the greatest soundtracks, and yeah, to Scott brilliant. Pilgrim versus the World, like this amazing Fucking soundtrack. Love that like, film. But I was saying, like, it has that kind of like formula sound because it yeah. follows the entire trilogy in a way. It has that really, like, it has that really, it's a really nice It's very jazz, Southern really, in a way. Oh, it's yeah. very jazzy. And the Scott, the, I mean, the Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim was just great. So, yeah, the, the music in Scott Pilgrim was great. Anything by Sex Bob-omb is just fantastic. Edgar Wright. Have you seen Scott Pilgrim? uh, Yes. Yeah. You mentioned Edgar Wright so much. I don't know why though. He must be one of your favorites. He's definitely one. He's definitely one of mine. I think he's fantastic. I don't know why. I think last time we mentioned mentioned him because of LFF. I don't know why I've mentioned him. He always pops up. We spoke about him last week because he's uh, he's the governor of the BFI. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. LFF. But he's he. I think I think he has a he has a brilliant understanding of. music and films yeah you and I Ben were talking about how like he comes across like a true you know movie fanboy well if you might one of my favourite things to watch is and it's basically what uh, the opening sequence of Baby Driver is based off is this music video that he made in like the early noughties where it's Noel Fielding in a car in a car park and he's a getaway driver and he's singing to the band's song and it's fucking brilliant (laughs) and basically that is the that is the, I, I think it's basically where he got the idea for Baby Driver and it's the opening scene and it's just fucking great and he just even in like um, like the music in like Shaun of the Dead and stuff like that is always just fantastic I love him yeah he's yeah 
I would love for Edgar Wright to come to the podcast. He'd be like top I have no idea what he li- He could have a Im- seat at this table Im- and we'd make him a nice... We, we, have, have, a fo- we have a fourth chair. seat, yeah. We have an empty chair. Imagine if he lives nearby. I'm sure he, he doesn't. <laughs> what, if he, what if he lives in this block? <laughs> Imagine if he lived upstairs he has the whole top floor of the apartment building. <laughs> he can hear us through the roof like Mr. like Mr. Heckles and friends. <laughs> I will tag him on, you know, when we post, uh, you know, the episode. Yeah, do. You never know. You never know. You never what happened? Who knows? Even on Shoot, Twitter, like it's very active stars, on Twitter. You know? What else have you got on your list? Yeah. Um, I've got Sideways, okay. the wine film. Have you seen that? The Paul Giamatti, where yeah. they like they're turning vineyards, right? Yeah, I, I know it. I haven't seen it. Sideways. It's like a road trip film. It's like the selfish actor guy is getting married, and he goes on a stag weekend with Paul Giamatti, his sort of loser friend, wow, and they get yeah. up to all kinds of shenanigans. Uh, Uncle Buck, that I mentioned before, <laughs> a fish called Wanda. Oh, yeah. Yes. I put Nuns on the Run because I love the yellow soundtrack and <laughs> Robbie Coltrane's in it. Kill number four. Who's the yeah. other? And, and Eric Idle's the other Eric one, Idle's isn't he? Yeah. In it, yeah. Fantastic. All the Real Girls, Sony Pictures classic film. And it's the first time I saw, I never know how to say her name, Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel, okay. yeah. Speaking of classics, someone did mention it in, in on the comments. I can't remember who it was, but somebody mentioned Some Like It Hot. And I haven't watched Some yeah, Like It Hot in that. years. And I was just, it made me think, Fuck, that actually would be a really good one. Something like a hot, it's just, it's just a great film to just kind of sit down and watch it. really easily. I've never properly seen that film. Do you know what? It's one of those films that I Everyone remember. Everyone has to say they love it if you're well, into do, film. Well, no, and do you know what? Here's the thing, right? So I I, I saw, I, I remember seeing it. I was like 19 in my pretentious movie phase where I was like, I only see Oscar nominated. <laughs> I'm like, not going to Where I was, a twa- I was just a twat. Like, <laughs> guess I was in uni and I was like, I'll only see movies that are Oscar nominated. And basically, everybody, I, I've been like that. Like, everybody says, go see someone like a hot. It's so old. I'm not arsed. Like, I don't really like black and white. No. Um, and it was, only on, it was on in like, it was on at like an outdoor cinema thing that I just happened to be at. And I watched it and I was like, holy fucking shit. That's because we had gone to see the film. It was like a double bill. I can't remember what the film was before. I think the film before might have been Bridesmaids. And then after the Some Like It Hot. And I was like, holy shit, Some Like It Hot's fucking incredible. Is it convert bridesmaids to black and white? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes the, uh, the the hungry bear scene so much more, <laughs> more intimidating. A couple of quick shout outs. The first one is from Chloe. Adam's Family Values. Like my ultimate comfort nice. movie. I can put practically the entire thing. I agree 100%. And the second one we've mentioned before uh, from um, Maria, Hercules. Yeah, the original one. Oh, it's such a good. You mean yeah. she's not that looking? Is she going to be the looking forward to the Guy Ritchie, Ritchie remake? Exclusive, in, yeah, exclusive sneak peek into the Guy Hercules Ritchie. is great. That 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 original right? the Disney is fantastic. Such a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick some of these, maybe not every single one of them, and create a list, a list on Letterbox so people can cool. actually share it and you know go back to it when they're not feeling 100. percent So we're here to help. We're gonna take a short break and we will be back with. Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, look, a message from our sponsor. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. Nah, yo, hold my poodle. Hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado. Here we go again. This episode's film is the one and only Little Miss Sunshine from 2006. Indie Sweetheart, Santon Starling. I remember it like back in the day, breaking <laughs> records left and right. It's interesting because when I think of... Little Miss Sunshine, it's one of the films that probably created that kind of sub-zondra of, you know, Juno and then... Um, the Jace, Jason, what's his name, Jason Reitman, is that who directed Juno and stuff? 
I have no oh, idea. I'm God. terrible with names. Keep going. I'll find his name. Um, you know, the me, Earl, the dying girl. It's the sort of it's quirky sort of, feelings. Yes. It's quite warm, heartfelt. And it's that kind of film that is not super silly, as in like scary movie, but not like super art house, like the, the next Godard film. So it's somewhere in between for that kind of crowd that wants to be entertained, but at the same time, not fully turn off like your brain at the same time. It's like... Yeah, it's family drama, but it's trying to be real. And not, it's not trying to be these high, this heightened sense of realism. It is just... Yeah, it's not super real. Yeah, it's not like Mummy, where it's yeah, super yeah. brutal and realistic. Like it yeah. does follow a certain formula, right? And you can tell how the characters in the film do follow specific, I don't know, like archetypes to an extent. But at the same time, yeah, like you, you kind of know it and you're okay with that and you're in for the right. And it does touch on some interesting mm. themes that we're going to talk about, including mental health. But um, as always, I have a recap in front of me, which I thought was kind of funny. So I'm going to go for it. And then I'm going to need one of you to recap the ending. In in one liner, what <laughs> according to IMDb, a family takes their girl on a road trip to compete in a beauty pageant. I mean, that is the one liner. It's the vaguest, it's vaguest, vaguest description of the film, yeah. I think what's helpful is to actually try to break down the characters of the family. So we have the patriarch of the family, the father, Richard, played by Greg Kinnear. Where else Greg has Kinnear. he... Well, I recognized him from... As good as it gets, and he's the neighbor. Oh shit! He, oh god, a good With film. The dog. I, yeah, I think that, that film. I think that was the first film I'd ever seen him in. I uh, think the same for me. Yeah, Li- no, Little Miss Sunshine is the first ah, film right. I seen him in because the only reason I ever knew him before then was, was because there's a there was a joke in Futurama where uh, I think Fry is disappearing out of existence, and he just says, "I could feel myself fading away like Greg Kinnear." <laughs> it's a oh. really harsh joke, oh, it but is he actually harsh. kind of. For me, Little Miss Sunshine was kind of like my like discovery of like him, even though he'd been around. As you say, he'd been around for years. He's a familiar face, though. Where yeah. else has he been? I mean, I guess that he's done like more supporting roles since. But I feel like that was one of his biggest leading. He's quite roles. understated, isn't he? And I think he's similar to Tony Collette in that regard. In well, the, Tony in Collette the... is quite established now. No, but I mean, he's understated in the way he plays characters. Oh, okay, yeah. He's so, not like in your face. Yeah, kind of, yeah the way yeah. Tony Collette, like Ben always says, inhabits the character. Mm, yeah. right. I think he does the same. Like, for example, in the neighbor character he plays in As Good As It Gets, he's not like stealing the scene. Yes. But he's just being doing a superb job of like figuring out how to be a really distinctive character in That's the background. True. So he's desperately trying to sell his motivational success program with no success, obviously. Meanwhile, we have pro-honesty mom Cheryl uh, from uh, played by Tony Can Collette. I just say before we go on, yes. here's all you need to know about Greg Kinnear. He was in the movie <laughs> Stuck on You, in which he plays conjoined twins with Matt Damon. You need to know no more. He there does we go. look like Matt Damon. Like, I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. I, oh, I do remember him from Friends as well. He played uh, Ross's girlfriend's ex-boyfriend in it. He's a oh, everyone clever has professor, been but everybody's friends. been in Friends. <laughs> the equivalent of Friends in the UK is The Bill or Casualty. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's if you've been, been in casualty, casualty then <laughs> you've made it. So the mom, she lends her support to the to the family, including her depressed and suicidal brother, played by Steve Carell, who is fresh out of the hospital after being jilted by his lover. These are interesting words. Jilty, jilty. Um, then you have the younger Hoover, so the 70-year-old would-be beauty queen Olive, played by Abigail Breslin. Has she been anywhere else? She was in Zombieland in the second one. That's a really good shot. I don't yeah. remember. Okay. 
And then you have Dwayne, Paul Dano, and Mitzi reading team, yeah, who has taken a vow of silence. And topping of the family is the grandfather, Alan Arkin, whose outrageous behavior, aka sleeping around and doing drugs, has snorting, recently got- snorting heroin in the old folks' home. <laughs> Don't um, try that at home. <laughs> so yeah, that has recently got him evicted from his retirement home. And when Olive is invited to compete in the Little Miss Sunshine competition in Far of California, the family piles into the van to rally behind her with surprisingly funny results. So that's the thing. I mean, that's that, a better explanation. You, so. It's a nice setup of the characters because mm. I feel like you can't get to the ending if you don't like kind of understand where every single character is coming from and what actually unites them and brings them to the mission. And ultimately, Olive is the connective tissue. And yeah, kind of brings them together. So who wants to help me to fast track to the, I guess, third act of the film? Every character apart from the mum, played by Tony Collette, is having a kind of life crisis at some point in the film. I feel like we need to have a shot every time we say Tony Collette. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl. <laughs> no, it's okay. And I think that's why I ended up loving all the characters, because they're so flawed. Cheryl's that- brother has yes. just tried to commit suicide and he's got like bandages on his wrists. Her son, Dwayne, is, uh, has, finds out in, on the trip that he can never be a he's fighter pilot yeah. because he's colorblind, which is one of Ben's favorite scenes. That, do you know what? Re-watch, yeah. So re-watching that, because I haven't watched that film in about, I'd say te- I probably haven't watched it in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And re-watching it now is like, as a grown-up, as, mm-hmm. as an adult who like is, is a lot more mature, genuinely like, I find that scene quite like distressing like that just especially when he starts like freaking out in the back of the van. Olive the little girl is in the van and she's like showing her older brother Dwayne like she's doing little tests with well, him. She's taken eye tests that she's found in the waiting room of the hospital when yeah. they find out that um the granddad has died. So she's showing him these little charts and she's like, "Oh, what number can you see in this?" and it's like like a green number 2 inside a sort of red circle. Yeah. It's the classic colorblind test and he can't see it. And then at that yeah, moment, and then Steve Carell realize he he breaks down like, what does this mean? And Steve Carell realizes that you know, oh, you're colorblind, you can't fly jets if you're colorblind. So Dwayne's life collapses at that point. Yeah, <laughs> and Cheryl's husband Richard. Yeah, he, yeah. he's he, the one he's, character I'm having issues with. Yeah, he's 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 so he's the character that's got this sort of get rich quick nine steps to success scheme yeah. book that he's trying to get published. His meltdown moment is where from a call box he finds out he's not getting the publishing deal, and it's really sad. And you kind of your heart goes Do out to him a fe- bit. Okay, this. Well, I felt sad. Okay, because he's he's just almost like destined to be this sort of loser character. That's how I sort of viewed him in the film. But then he also makes some really bad calls with how he talks to his daughter. There's yeah. a really poignant gonna... scene with some ice cream in a restaurant. Yeah. And Which the... keeps getting called back to, like even at the end of the movie yeah. when Olive meets Miss that's my favorite scene California, in the film. where she tells her that she has that and as they're walking yeah. away, she's like, oh my God, she likes ice cream. So there's yeah. a scene where they pull in and the little girl, Olive, wants to order ice cream. And the dad is like, wow. I mean, you shouldn't be ordering that because if you eat the ice cream, it's made of milk and milk's got cream in it and it's going to make you fat and then you can't be like a beauty queen. Yeah. And it's really out of line. But my favourite thing about that scene is that then the whole family rallies around that and like the granddad starts eating the ice cream is like giving it to everybody Mm. and sharing it around. So you see the dad kind of, he's probably well-intentioned in his head, but he's, he's really off the mark. I think he's just, I think he's just, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk, especially especially in the scene in the motel room with him and Tony Collette, 
shot everyone. <laughs> is is, is to, it, I think it's almost his character almost feels like he has this nine steps things which he has bet their whole life on. So if he doesn't live that, and if he if like every bit of his being isn't I'm the nine steps success guy, it's not going to succeed. It has to be that because if it doesn't, if it fucks up, everything's fucked. Because actually, it's just quite an interesting. I think we've talked about this with another film. It's probably like what happens after the end of that film that his yeah. nine steps success hasn't worked. They've kind of technically broken the law by stealing the granddad's body from a hospital <laughs> and like driving it across state lines. You know, it's. It, yeah, I completely agree. He's like a deplorable character, but it almost feels like he's he's put himself in this situation where his whole personality is just consumed by that now. You know, 10 years yeah. previous, he probably wasn't that person. What I was going to add to it was, I think he has a bit of a transformation towards the end of the film and he has a moment of realisation and he sort of sees himself saying this stuff and he's like, God, this is, I've got to sort myself out. This is really, this is going to damage my daughter and like, I need to. Well, and I think the death I, of his dad kind of, kind of yeah. is a moment to him to be like, oh shit. I had a different reaction to this character. Like I actually thought that it was the one character that was very poorly written in the end when he got the news of him not getting the book deal or whatever, I actually didn't care and I didn't think that even like him joining his daughter on stage in the end, which was kind of like his redemption moment. I mean, mm. like, look at him. I still love you guys. I was like, that is a cartoonist way of a redemption. Let the show redemption. Because uh, up until that point, there was, and I'm not saying that was down to the acting. I think um, he did the best he could with what he had. But from a writing perspective, like all of the scenes that he had to kind of own, he was portrayed as a emotionally abusive, insecure man. I wasn't able to see like a gray area with him. Even when he got the news of his dad, he was like, okay, off we go then. Like there, there wasn't like, I would have loved to see a scene of vulnerability somewhere where he's just, you know, do you, because I feel like what you're saying is that he, you know, you're probably implying that he had these realizations of, oh, hey, I fucked up there. Oh, hey, I could have done better. Or like, oh, hey, I should take a step back. But we, we never see, see any of that. Like, we just see the cartoonist, like, I don't know, black side of him as opposed to see, like, the, I don't know, the more nuanced way of it. So for me, like, I wasn't able to see or care about, yeah, his redemption in the end. I, I would have loved to see a bit more color. But that was my, that is my only criticism of the film in particular. Like he was such a stark contrast compared to all of the rest that had, yeah, much more room to play around. Like I could see both sides with every single one of them. With him, I was like, I actually don't care. Nothing. You're an asshole. Nothing. Tony could let you get a divorce. But I think that that was down to the writing rather than anything else. But again, that's in probably like I don't know something minor. But yeah, that was my only call out. It comes to that final final redemption arc which I feel like everyone had in a way perhaps except Tony Collette who was like the same person from, from the beginning mm. to the end she's like the anchor point yes you're right well, I'm just trying to think of what Steve Carell's redemption point in it as well he went from being like the second best Proust fanboy in the country well, I thought perhaps <laughs> well number one actually I I number one. yeah that's true yeah. that's true that's perhaps true. his moment is on the pier so during the beauty pageant section him so Steve Carell and uh, Dwayne go for a walk along this pier to mm. chat together. Him and Dwayne have a great relationship throughout yes. the whole film. Yeah. yeah. They learn, they almost kind of learn quite a lot from one another. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, Dwayne's kind of opening up and explaining about what it's like to be a teenager and how much he 
he wishes he says he wishes he could skip out his college years and just skip to being an adult and get out of this like horrible period of his life. Yeah, he's and, not he talks, enjoying. and then he talks about Proust. Yeah, well, and then Steve Carell sort of says, but that you, you know, these are your prime suffering years. Yeah. You've got to really get into it. Well, this he is makes, the making he, of Yeah, you. he makes the point, doesn't he, that like apparently Proust talked about like the years that made me as like a writer and stuff like that were those years of suffering. And he's like, yeah, as you say, like, you know, Jesus, 18 to 21, they're your prime years of like just suffering and feeling terrible about yourself. You know, that's the the most interesting thing. Like I do wonder as the movie goes on, does Steve Carell's character see a lot of himself in Dwayne? I think that it just shows that Steve Carell's character isn't, wholly selfish and self-absorbed he he's interested in Dwayne he wants to help him he wants to like pass on and his particular profession which is academia I do feel like because I do have um people in my family that are in that kind of industry like profession however you want to call it and it is so easy to be tempted by that sort of validation from your peers and community and I do feel like he fell in that trap like understandably so so I think he's redemption journey is kind of breaking the like out of that as in like you're defined but what you do and how you're perceived into your community in that sense so for me in the end it's like I like maybe that's not true like maybe that's not the right way to interpret the that scene but for me his redemption moment is when he runs um, you know in the end like in the oh yeah yeah when he he sprints yeah he has that really bizarre upright run he's like a Steve Carell run I love it that was a nice touch for me that because that was him running for his niece like that was like not giving a fuck about Proust or like the newspapers like what he's like it was just like Let's get back to the basics, the anti-establishment, really going back to the, you know, elusive nature of the American dream. Let's, yeah, break, I don't know, I feel like that was his moment in a way. But I do think that because, yeah, you mentioned his relationship with Dwayne, it was kind of soft, like his, like even his, um, what's the word, demeanor kind of softened throughout the film. He was like, he was very defensive to the the dad as well and towards him. He was like, you know what, just fuck it. I don't really, I, I don't well, even want clear, to well, I mean, there's, yeah, there's the scenes in the in, in some of the scenes in the van, like him, like clearly doesn't really like Richard as well. And and that uh, that scene around the dinner table at the start where he's trying to explain all of what happened and he keeps interrupting him and being like, you know, you have to. He like basically says like you know all oh, your uncle made like the he made some stupid choice, choice and stuff like that and is so flippant about something incredibly serious and it's like God yeah you would just hate that guy <laughs> like he's such yes. a thing Steve Carell has all the reason to hate him and then yeah. you know the bit where he's pretty sarcastically like asking him about saying like oh I don't mind being a loser and all that kind of stuff yeah. in the car you know but I do feel like when we have a look at every single one of the characters they do start with that with a certain like false belief of like, I'm supposed to be X. So, Mm. and it goes back to the wider concept of American dream, because I do think that the directors try to be kind of pointed towards like this establishment back in the day, that was George W. Bush. Remember like um, in the hotel room, there was um, the news came on and Bush was on the on TV, oh, and then yeah. and Dwayne like turned that off like after three seconds, where like I don't know he was talking about dictating or whatever, and then there was something similar in the contest as well. Like you could tell that there was something critical around that. Well, we should point. talk about the contest because that is the end of the film, and it's a very yeah. very strange kind of scene. Yeah, if it's very clever because. On the one hand, that, 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 so you've got this very innocent, what, eight, ten-year-old girl? 
His so dream the family is to, makes it to the contest, yeah, basically. Uh, well, the, the whole film is about getting to this contest yeah. on time, yeah. three o'clock or whatever. And Olive gets there and she discovers that she's not like any of the other girls in this conte- contest. All the other girls are sort of much slimmer and more made up and more kind of like stylized. And she's just way more naive and innocent and less kind of tarnished by consumerism and all of this, all of the stuff that these other girls have experienced. Um, and it's very clever because you end up finding yourself laughing at this beauty pageant where all these little children are being like sexualized, but yeah. because Olive doesn't get it, she just, she, she does the most sort of adult sexual dancing of all at this contest, but because she doesn't understand what she's doing, it's funny and it's innocent and it's okay to find, to enjoy that. It's incredible how her routine, like dance routine, is much more explicit in theory, yes. but it feels so much more innocent. Because it's coming from this like naive place. Yes. Uh, and that's why it's clever. And Which, that's, by the way, her yeah. grandpa, you know, showed her yeah. how to... Choreographed. Get, yeah. Chore- yeah, Which is like, probably the weirdest thing, I, I suppose, if you want to I mean, get into that. But Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so it's this lovely moment of, you know, all these these young girls sort of getting conditioned into becoming Miss World type characters. And then Olive just bowls up, does this, like, showgirls dance act. Yeah. <laughs> Not really I mean, understanding what she's doing, but just having a great time being herself. What was even more disturbing to me is the fact that when, you know, she did her thing, the parents and the people that worked in that sort of contest or whatever were actually much more offended by yeah, her. Yeah, a lot of people walk they, out. They, yeah, like they mm. weren't able to handle their own exploits as, you know, what we're doing mm. is right. So like... The, well, because so Olive was essentially distorted. sending it up. She was yeah. like, she was taking it to like gas mark seven. And uh, that was probably too much for them to to see. I feel like she, you know, grabbed a mirror and like uh, kind of projected their own insecurities. They didn't and like their, what they saw. Yeah, yeah, they didn't like what they saw kind of thing. The one thing I noticed on rewatching it was I, because the first time I saw the film, I found the compare of the beauty pageant incredibly creepy. Yeah. Like I, really hard to watch. Weird. He was like singing into the microphone really close to the kids' faces and being really like almost lechy. <laughs> Whereas this time I didn't find it so bad, but I guess it's probably because I've, you know, seen it so many times. Mm. But yeah, he is a really gross character and really well played, well cast and amazing actor. That's true. But yeah, he he just, he, he really amplifies that scene really well, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially with the singing. Mm-hmm. It just gets so ridiculous. It becomes farcical. Yeah. It's almost like a sort of parody of itself. Lecce is the perfect word for yeah, it. Yeah, it is the perfect <laughs> word for it. And then you have it all tied together by the entire family kind of defending her and... Getting on stage. Coming full circle and it kind of being this, like, the picture of, you know, definitely not the perfect family, but this is their family and this is kind of, this is who they are. Yeah, it reminds me of, because you mentioned everything everywhere uh, earlier, and it kind of reminds me of that. I don't know, I had the same feeling as you were, because you mentioned it earlier, because I was thinking, you have lost everything. You have, not not everyone, but, like, Dwayne has lost his dream in a way. Um, you've had like a divorce, you've had like the book deal of your, the century, whatever. So you've lost the actual competition. So you've lost everything. So why don't you just act like you have nothing else to lose and just dance? I think it has a sort of kind of sentiment, mm. the dance anyway. Um, but I was going to ask you, Simon, because I know like in the last episode we talked about, you know, choreography and how like it's a bit tacky to end something with a dance like sequence did you feel like it was tacky to end the film like that or I thought not it was, really I thought it was perfect great okay I thought it was just 
just felt really real and it was really well shot mm-hmm. it, and it matched the style of the rest of the film. Yes. I think in the, what were we watching? Matilda. In Matilda that we watched recently, um, it was like there was a break point in the film and then it was like, now we're going to be a music video. Okay. And it felt very jarring. Whereas in in this, it just felt like a natural progression of the film. And that's, yeah, you're right. And it does go back to the entire film as well, because even though one of the main characters, aka the grandpa, like Alan Ark, isn't on the stage, it does feel like, and his presence is very much there. And I feel like it's where you can feel him the most. he basically dies on the way. So yeah. you, you can feel him yeah. the most. Because it kind of is a bit of a tribute to him in a mm. way. Well, she even, she takes the microphone and says, I oh, want yeah, to dedicate right. this to my grandpa. It's like, where's your mm. grandpa? Yeah. In the trunk of our car. <laughs> <laughs> I think <it's, laughs> yeah, that's true. That's an amazing line. That's a good a line. line. So uh, candidly delivered. Yeah. Um, so to get onto the final scene, I think one of the things that, I found most funny about the film is the horn of the camper yeah. van. Yes. And so about halfway through, they're in this road trip and all sorts of shenanigans are going down. For example, the van breaks down and it turns out they can no longer use gears number one and two. So to get to get into the van, they have to push it and start it in the third gear and then all jump in one by one, which yeah. is brilliant. Um, but then on the motorway, I think is the is Richard having an argument or something. But he um he's driving the van. I think somebody cuts him off. Someone, that's yeah. it. Someone someone cuts him off, and then he smashes the horn with his fist, and then mm. the horn just won't stop. <laughs> and it's got this really hilarious kind of sad, melancholic whine. It's like I was going to ask. It gets, them, gets is... them pulled over from Hank by Hank <laughs> yeah. from Breaking Bad, which is he's crazy. Incredible. So that scene, the policeman. I, mean, I was going to ask the art house question of the podcast uh, episode. What do you think the horn symbolizes? Well, it, it just, just, just symbolizes the it, absolute it? chaos <laughs> and yeah, like, the farcical nature. Fast, yeah, it's yeah. Just, okay. All everything that's going to go wrong has gone wrong, and the horn just sums that up. Okay, and it, and, it, it, and, it, and it's like anything anything terrible that happens, the horn's there in the background, just making it yeah. funny. I, love I mean, the car is like kind of like the family. It's like the wheels are just coming off as yeah. the film goes along. Like by the end of it, I think when they drive through, when when Steve Carell opens the door to run towards the hotel, the door, the car, the door, of the van just falls oh off. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> yeah. like everything, and like one of the fi- one of the actual final scenes after the dance is them like basically putting the van back together, putting the door back on, pushing mm. it to start and drive to mm. and it does this kind of old school like the final final scene is like old school Hollywood they are literally driving off into the sunset like the sun is setting behind the Hollywood mm. Hills and the van is driving down the highway like it's very yeah well, that's know, why I mentioned the horn Hollywood. because the final scene is the sound of the horn just going into the distance as they drive away which yeah. is a perfect because as you say the van is a character in the film and it's, yeah. a, me- it's a metaphor for everything that's happening just thinking about this as well you know the, about the granddad and stuff who's obviously not there in the, for, for the ending one of the one of the one of his last lines probably is his last line before he um, pops his clogs it's this really kind of upset quite an upsetting scene actually is Olive just gets really upset and she's like I don't know if I should, I think she's like, I don't know if I should do it. And he's like, why, why, why the fuck would you want to do it? She's like, cause I don't want to be a loser. And she's getting really upset about oh, it. Yeah. And he says to her, it's, it's the complete opposite of everything her dad's saying. And it's a really important message from the film is like, of course you're not a loser. A loser is somebody who's so afraid of losing that they don't even try. He's like, as long as you try, you're a winner. And that's like his message to her. And his final message to her is that I don't care what you do. I don't care if you win or you lose. As long as you try, that's what's important. Don't listen to your dad. He's full of shit. But yeah. his, her, you know, her dad's almost like trying to follow that same yeah. thing of like, well, like, like, you know, I need to, I need to win, I need to win. But actually, if your definition of a winner is just someone who tries, you know, it depends on what your definitions are. Mm. You know, it's a really like his final scene of that one is quite an important message to all of that kind of keeps her going through the rest of the film. 
I love that. And I like that scene because it unpicks some of the damage the dad's done by going on about don't be a loser, be a winner. Because poor little Olive's like, I don't want to be a loser because her dad's yeah, banging on about it all the time. Because her dad's battered and, it into her, yeah, is that you're going to be a and loser. And the grandpa kind of that. unwinds that a bit, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah, it's basically a, I don't know, a toxic perfection is waiting to happen. You can see that unless someone, like, yeah, pulls the brake on that girl, is going to end up like a workaholic. It's going to end up like a granddad snorting heroin. <laughs> 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 Probably, yeah. That's the problem. Oh my God. Yeah. Anything else to add or to comment on that very final scene? I mean, it's very straightforward. I mean, they're off like on their way home, right? I mean, yeah. that's it. That's the idea. Like, I yeah. just, I, I, as I say, it's just, it's quite nice the haphazard nature of the ending where they, they start. They all get in the van. They yes. start the van. I think Steve Carell probably. I think Steve Carell does say his thing of he is whenever they keep pushing the van, he always goes. Uh, Need I remind people that I am the number one proof scholar in the United <laughs> States? And he he always says it every time mm. they're starting off the van, and he says it, and they get in, and then as the woman who runs the beauty contest yes. who's called the police, who like they can't. That's the whole thing. In between the dancing and the actual ending is them sitting in the police station, and the policeman being like, "You're free to go as long as you agree to never enter a competition yes. in the state of California ever again." And Steve Krause is like. We I think we it. I think we agree to that, yeah. and it's just it's really nice, kind of like yeah, I don't because it's this thing of I, and I think. You know, Steve Carell and Dwayne realize that like there's a point when they go after the uh, scene on the boardwalk, they go back and they're like, oh, we should go back. And they go into the room and then this stays in the door and then they just walk out and they're both like, what the fuck? Like, we yes. need to go and tell Olive not to do this. And it's clearly Steve Carell in that moment is clearly being like, yeah, why the fuck would you want to come back and do a competition here? Because this is fucking weird. Like, this is bizarre shit. But they go to push the van and the woman who has reported them for who leads the competition she's is... pure evil. She is, yeah, she's, a is, proper, she's a baddie. Yeah, she's a good baddie. It, she's like the trunchbull in that. Melissa Leo, isn't yeah. she? Yeah, she's and she's, she's giving her, like, scanning her ticket out of the guard hood and they just come along. She won't move, so they just crash through the barrier on the uh, other side. It's like making a break for the border and go f- driving off into the sunset down the highway. I love it. It's wild to think of a time when Steve Carell and Tony Collette take a shot. Uh, <laughs> were the household names, right? Yeah. Because back in the day, like back back in the day, 20, 2016, that's... 2006. No, six, sorry. That was how many years ago? Uh, 16 years ago? She was probably more well-known than Steve Carell at the time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, he, ju- he would have just started The Office. The Office exactly. would have started like a year before. Yeah. So we'd have That's just the done first the- time I saw him, I think, in Little Miss Sunshine. So he was, mm. Yeah, so he was very much like an up-and-coming uh, up actor. Mm. So it's great. And even Paul Dano, right? Now he's very, very well established yeah. right now. But at the time, he was very, very would young have, as well. It would have probably been one of Paul Dano's first kind of few roles, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. probably. Because he's, he's pretty young. I think he's still a teen. Yeah. He's like a yeah. teenager, isn't he? Yeah. So good. Anyway, what? Watch Fantastic. it if you haven't seen it. It's brilliant. I mean, yeah, I, I, I hope by that point, I mean, because we spoiled it, the fuck out of film. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter. It gets better with every viewing. That yeah, it true. does. That, that is, is true. true. Yeah, you can spoil that film and it's still like yeah, yeah incredible. You can, yeah, it's one of those ones that the, the ending doesn't really matter. It, it, the ending doesn't There's matter. Nothing to spoil. It's, the, I mean, it's, it's not yeah. where they're going. It's how they yeah. get there. <laughs> I remember, remember oh my god we're gonna keep going forever but I just remember the, one, the another thing no the yeah. cameo with yeah. Dean Norris from Breaking Bad we yeah, have two god. Breaking Bad cameos yeah, we have Brian Cranston as well. well so basically the, the van gets pulled over with the whole family in it oh. they've got the dead body in the back yeah the horns going off and uh 
this policeman drags the dad out of, out of the van and makes him put his hands on it. And he, because yeah. basically he... Because he says to him, he's like, don't look, he's, he's like, please don't look in the trunk. <laughs> why, like, why would you say that to a policeman anyway? Like, so, then, so the policeman's like, right, I've got to look in the trunk. Yeah. And he opens the trunk and the first thing he sees are these porn mags. They he's fall like, out, that's yeah. what happens. They fall out of the They fall out of the And boot. so of course he just focuses on them and completely misses the body in a body, in a, wrapped up in a sheet. And thinks the dad is just scared of his porn well, being he's found. Just, he's holding them out of sight. The funniest thing about it is he's holding them out of sight, looking at the family in the car, and he's like, "Ah, oh, sweet family," and he's just waving it. And he's like, oh, "You got a nice family That's there." So funny. <laughs> and then, and then he really loves the porn. But then he, I, fi- but then he finds the one that Steve Carell has bought for himself, the men's magazine, yes. and he's just like, and Greg Kinnear's like, "Don't don't like that one too," you know, <laughs> something different. I, so but the, but it, yeah. that 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 actor that plays the policeman, Dean I mean, Norris, he yeah. acted with his face, his eyes. He he speaks this amazing low. Do you remember whisper. him from Breaking Bad? Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Hank, he's fantastic. Yeah, so good. Yeah. I have a feeling to your because he's so good in that scene. I have a feeling it's it looks like it was improved. Like I have oh, a feeling it's so he, organic. I feel it's like so he organic. did something in that that yeah. wasn't quite there. Like I feel like he went from stereotypical policeman to like being super earnest about like. I think earnest. I think as soon as he finds the porn, that kind of feels yeah. like they were just like listen, just have like just have a bit of a laugh, yeah. a bit like just kind of just 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 be weird, I just be a little like, bit one of the one of the magazines they I don't know they're called like Dugs or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, like literally. nice. Yeah. I really yeah. love. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's, every, like, he keeps putting the magazines underneath each other. And go, oh, I love that one. Oh, I love this stuff. I love it. God bless you. God bless you. Don't worry, I'm not gonna bust you. Thank you. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> and then he gets one of the gay favorites. one, and he's yeah. just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he quickly yeah. makes his excuses yeah. and leaves. Easily oh, my God. favorite scene in that film. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So good. Okay. Um, I think we solved the ending again. I think pretty so. much. So. We're pretty deep on the characters there. I know, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's because yeah. the characters were so well written and mm. had such depth. Exactly. That we were able to talk about them. Yeah, yeah exactly. You sound like me, Simon. Jesus. <laughs> also, <laughs> fuck the American dream. Or, as, <laughs> as Dwayne, all, uh, Dwayne Steezer said, Jesus was wrong. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> was wrong. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. Okay, that's a sold. Um, anyway, uh, we we hope this episode cheered you up or made your day uh, or evening, wherever you might be listening. We would love to know if you'd like us to do more episodes like this one. Please send your recommendations and suggestions either in a DM on That Final Scene on Instagram or you can contact us on our website at thatfinalscene.com. Reminder that we do have a website. Um you know, we have so many different options for you. You can also WhatsApp us. I'm um, also sure you can find the guy somewhere I'm online. Sophie's burner if phone. You can, uh, <laughs> burner phones <laughs> as well. Again, all the info will be included in the episode show notes. Uh, if you're a new listener, hello you. Please subscribe to our podcast. And if you're an old friend, I think it's time to send that episode to the group chat. I feel like Little Miss Sunshine is a perfect film for that. So the next episode's film will be The Incredible Black Panther. So, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks as usual. See you on the internet. Goodbye. Did you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it. I I had no idea you could milk a cat. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) 